Our first reading is to be found in Isaiah chapter 40, and that is on page 724 of our church Bibles. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley should be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become plain, the rugged, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out, and I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. This is the word of the Lord. Luke 7, Luke 7, uh, verse 18. John's disciples told him uh, all about these things, and calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect somebody else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect somebody else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back, and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who had leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. 
Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. morning. I'm keenly aware of Virginia this morning as I stand here because this is an awesome passage. But she was firmly of a mind that you could have too much of a good thing. So I shall keep it as brief as I can. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the richness of your word. But Lord, speak to our hearts this morning. Help us to leave this place changed by an encounter with you. Amen. So, I wonder if you are a fan of rugby. Are you? The answer that you feel in your heart about that question will really affect how you feel about my next statement, and that is, we've been promised over the next six weeks a a feast of over 4,000 minutes of World Cup rugby on the TV. Your faces are just a picture. It's great from here. Well, who do you think will win? Tell tell your neighbor, if you're a fan of rugby, who you think is going to win. If you're not a fan of rugby, what are you going to do with that 4,000 minutes? Quite a lot of discussion. Probably as many views as we have people in the room. On Friday night, we settled down at home in front of the TV to join the capacity crowd at Twickenham and millions, I'm told, of other TV viewers to watch England and Fiji battle it out on the pitch. The stadium was positively bristling with anticipation. And I can tell you there were one or two tense moments in our living room as we were leaning forward in our seats, waiting with anticipation for the TMO replays to give us clear sight of that try line. Would it be a try or would it not? The cameras scrutinized from every angle. We all had our opinion. We compared our notes, but it was a very close thing a couple of times. It looked like a try, and the crowd in the stadium sounded like they thought it was a try, but it was difficult to say. We had to wait for the referee to make his pronouncement. In our Bible passage today, the question on everybody's lips is not a sporting issue, but rather one of potentially life-changing significance. Who is Jesus. We joined the people of Israel at a very turbulent time in their history. It had been centuries since God had actually spoken to them clearly through the prophets. They were now an occupied and downtrodden nation. The rule of Rome was harsh. It was not at all to their taste and they longed for freedom. They longed to take their proper place in history and they were ever hopeful 
that the Messiah foretold by Isaiah and all the prophets of the Old Testament would come to their aid. They longed for a savior to restore them to their rightful place. They were on the lookout for a new political voice, perhaps a man of charisma and physical strength to lead a revolt and transform their experience of life. John the Baptist identified himself as the forerunner, the voice crying out in the wilderness spoken of by Isaiah, calling people to repent and ready themselves for a savior. He declared that he was not the savior himself, but that he was on the way and they should all be alert and waiting. Now John was an unusual character. He was odd to look at, uncomfortable to listen to, and wholehearted in his belief that the Messiah's arrival was imminent. He caused such a stir that the political powers of the time had him flung into prison, but that didn't keep him quiet and it didn't stop him hearing what was going on in Judea. His followers would bring him news to his prison cell, and it's clear that when he heard it, he didn't quite know what to make of it. Confinement in Herod's prison cells was no holiday camp, and when he heard the news of Jesus' activity, he was confused. He had been expecting striking words of judgment from the Messiah. He was in no doubt that many Jewish people had departed from the law and were far from deserving God's love. And he called them to repent. Earlier in chapter 3, Luke records him telling everyone, One more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with, in, with unquenchable fire. He was in prison because he had not preached a very compromising message. He was expecting reward for those who kept the law and holy vengeance on those who had not. And yet here is Jesus, engrossed in works of mercy. John had expected Jesus to be a fiery reformer, but he hears of him bringing healing. John had expected Jesus to depose Herod, establish a new messianic kingdom, and not least of all, to liberate prisoners like John, I'm sure. But he hears of him talking about freedom of a completely different nature. Thoroughly unexpected. The question in John's heart gets louder. Who is Jesus? In his confusion, he sets us a very good example, and he turns directly to Jesus for an answer. He sends two of his friends who are free to move about to ask Jesus 
to declare his hand. What exactly is going on? Now Luke, the author of this gospel, has a very crisp mind and he doesn't waste words in his account of Jesus' life. And yet, he records John's question twice. Are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Now I believe that is because it's a crucial question and the future depends upon it. Luke wants his readers to be quite clear what he's talking about. Who is Jesus? A Jewish reader would have been in no doubt what John was referring to. The Old Testament scriptures, which they read daily and committed to memory, talked of a Messiah who would one day come and rescue them as a nation. John wants to know if Jesus is this man. In my mind's eye, I can quite see the whole crowd falling silent and leaning in to hear what Jesus says in response to this. He's renowned for having a good answer for tricky questions, and this is one that really needs a good answer. Just as we all strain towards the TV on Friday night to catch a glimpse of the tri-line for ourselves and to hear exactly what the ref was going to pronounce for that last try and those crucial five points, I imagine the crowd leaning in so they don't miss a word of what came next. We need to remember the context of that first century Palestine moment. It's politically unstable. There is unrest amongst the people and a cruel determination to dominate them on the part of those placed in government by their Roman masters. There are listening ears everywhere. And it's known that Herod would like to have killed Jesus. Careless talk costs lives. Isn't that what they used to say in the Second World War? If Jesus was to give a straightforward answer, then it would have been dangerous for him and for others. And the time was not yet right. So Jesus, in his wisdom, quite simply gives a practical demonstration of who he was and he invited people to draw their own conclusions. Now, translations vary on how they interpret verse 21, if you're following it in your books. But the gist is, right then and there, or at that time, in response, Jesus healed many, gave sight to the blind, and made the lame walk. That list of activities is so significant that it could not be misunderstood by any Jew. It echoes the prophecy of Isaiah 35, which says, then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb shout for joy. It's quite clear what he's saying. Jesus is declaring in action, not words, the coming of his kingdom. As a youngster, I was incredibly shy and I often felt so guilty that I rarely had the courage to witness for the gospel. I simply would not have believed 
if you'd have told me that I would be doing this job now. I wouldn't have believed it. And yet I was so encouraged by the witness of my youth leader at that time, whose next door neighbor became a Christian. She found faith and started coming to church, not because of anything Lillian ever said to her, but because she watched Lillian over the garden fence. She watched her go about her daily life, deal with her children, relate to others day in and day out. And she was so drawn to what she saw in her. Sometimes our actions speak much louder than our words. The question has been asked, if you were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If someone lived alongside you like a spy for any length of time, would they notice any difference about you? Would they see evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in your life? Would they see that you love Jesus in the way you treat other people? It is true that actions often speak louder than words. If you tell me that you love me, but you treat me unkindly, then I might have my doubts. If you show me a kindness without saying anything, I can feel your love. So back to our passage. John asked, are you the one? Jesus responds to John's question with actions and then follows it up with a question of his own. What do you see? Jesus is not setting himself up as a direct rival to Herod in so many words, although his kingdom will in the end do that, but rather he's introducing a kingdom of a very different sort and he wants us to notice it. Luke is describing Jesus bringing healing and restoration into people's lives in a physical way, which matches the spiritual forgiveness and freedom that they find in relationship with Jesus. In this very rule-bound and divided society, the things that previously excluded people or created a barrier to relationship are swept away. In Jesus' new kingdom, we see people are not to be judged by their gender or their heritage or their family position or their postcode. They are to be judged only on their response to him. His voice is perhaps silent, but his actions are telling us that we are entering into a new season when not just the chosen few, but anyone can access the kingdom of God. Jesus came to live amongst us, to die upon the cross and to rise again, to break down barriers. He came to reach out to those who might otherwise be excluded, to offer an invitation to anyone to join his family and be changed forever. It's a far more radical revolution than even John had ever imagined. So we must ask ourselves now, what this means for us today. We've looked at what our passage says 
and what it would have meant in first century Palestine. But a much more crucial question is what it means for us in 2015 in Bath. How will it change our lives? Because we believe scripture is God's living word. It's designed to bring change when we read it. Last week with Simon, we heard of God breaking through and revealing how much bigger he is than we often imagine. He challenged us to increase our desire to see God at work in our lives. And I've been wondering this week, as I ponder this passage, what that would really look like. What aspects of my life might be different if my vision of God was bigger? Might it change my priorities? The way I spend my time and my money, perhaps? The way I speak to people? The things I do and say? Or perhaps refrain from doing or saying? If I allowed God to be bigger, might I trust him more with my life, my plans for the future, for my family? Perhaps this morning you're sitting there pondering, like John in his cell, who is this Jesus? Perhaps you're watching and listening and trying to make sense of it all. Could today be the day that you take that risk and turn directly to Jesus for an answer? If that is you, please do speak to Simon or me after the service. We'd love to talk with you more. As we gather around the table in a few moments, we will retell the story of Jesus' life and death on the cross. But the story doesn't end there. We remind ourselves also of his resurrection to life and the fullness of life he offers us as a result. It's a story that invites us to be changed, to have a bigger vision of God and to trust him to bring wholeness and healing to our lives, whoever we are and whatever the brokenness in our life looks like. No one is too broken to be beyond his reach. And, incidentally, no one is so sorted that they don't need his loving touch. And so we invite you to come. Come as you are. As you receive the bread and the wine, receive his touch on your life and invite him to bring wholeness and healing where you need it most. It's an invitation to be changed forever. So we invite you to come. Amen.
Thank you, Esther. Let's just be still a moment in God's presence, God who never gives up. 